You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. You know, when we watch athletes on television, people that most likely we're never going to meet, and if we do, maybe it would be just for a moment, um, it can be kind of hard to, for us to think about them outside of the identity they have in that moment as a football player, a basketball player, a baseball player. The video we're going to show you today is just another athlete. His name is Demario Davis, and he plays for uh, the New Orleans Saints. And he made the news because he wore this headband, which says, Man of God. And the NFL fined him uh, for wearing this headband, and he appealed that decision and then won and did not have to pay uh, the fine. And so if he looks a little familiar to you, it's probably because of that. It's one of the most prominent uh, moments that he's had coming to the forefront of all of the NFL players uh, in that moment because of that headband uh, that he wore. Uh, last year, uh, during the NFL season, though, he sat down and shared his story about how God has made a huge difference in his life. And so we're going to share that video with you. The first year I played football, I played running back. I went out and scored like you know, 50 touchdowns in a year. Our team went undefeated all the way to the championship game, and I just kind of knew then that football was a possible avenue for success for me. Going into my ninth grade year, I'm introduced um, to marijuana, I'm introduced to alcohol, I'm introduced to uh, sex. This is a 14-year-old kid uh, dealing with this stuff, and I didn't have a father figure around to teach me, you know, what all that meant. All I had was to look to were the guys in the streets, which was drug dealers, guys who had criminal records, and I was looking up to those guys. So I just figured I was supposed to do what they did. I wanted to show them that I wasn't scared, that I wasn't uh, afraid to be a bad boy or whatever. I just wanted to impress them. I tried to jack um, another kid for his wallet. I tried to steal his wallet in the hallway, and I ended up getting in trouble and getting um, expelled from school. I remember my mom calling me on the phone and just hearing her brokenness. When she answered the phone, you know, just like, DeMario, what have you done? And when she said that, it was almost to the point of, you have messed up your life. And I remember uh, being out running the streets with some of my friends, and we were breaking in cars. I punched the window, and I cut my arm up. And I have this uh, serious gash in my arm. And I felt like this was the first time I heard an audible voice from God. And he said, that's strike number two. The first strike was you getting kicked out of school. The second strike is you almost killed yourself tonight. If it would have been a few inches down, I could have gashed my wrist and died that night. That scared me to the point of, from the rest of my junior and my senior year, I cleaned up my act. I get to college, but the fruit of my life still isn't changed. I get back and I'm all of a sudden I'm at this college and now I'm a small fish in a big pond. So I feel like I gotta prove myself all over again. So I go back to drinking, I go back to smoking, I go back to partying. I land myself in jail. We stealing groceries out of Walmart. And I just remember looking around and like, whatever I'm trying to do with my life, it isn't working. I had a chance to make it out and now my coach can take my scholarship and I'd be sent back home. And I, and I messed up my opportunity before I even played a snap on the field. Fortunately, the coach did not kick me off the team. He gave me another chance. Cause a little while later, our team chaplain who I've been going to Bible studies with, he started to spend time with me in the Word. He was talking about, you know, these radical ideas that I had never even thought about. And then he started to show me in the Bible that matched exactly what he was saying. 
And I never had looked at the Bible in that light. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And he was talking about, this is talking about your heart. But my whole theory with God was, at the end of the day, God, you know I got a good heart. Well, this was showing me that I had a bad heart because nothing but bad fruit was coming from my life. But then he told me something that was reassuring and encouraging. He said, God will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And that night I went home and I was scared and I just prayed. It was the most sincere prayer I had ever prayed. I said, God, I need a new heart. That's all I said. The next day I was hoping that everything would change. I woke up and by the end of the day I was doing a lot of the same stuff I had been doing. And I was like, man, you said that God would give me a new heart if I asked. He said, if you ask for a new heart, God will honor it and God will give it to you. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but he's going to give it to you. The message started to resonate and I started to understand why Jesus had to die on the cross. He had to pay for those sins. And until we get a new heart, we can't fix what's coming out of us. And that God wants to come inside of us and clean us so that he can draw us back to himself. And it was like he was taking the scales off my eyes. At that moment, he removed the taste of alcohol from my mouth. He didn't remove marijuana and sex right then. But I said, God, you're the Lord of my life. And I'm going to choose to serve you. When you want to move these things, you will. And he did a little bit later. Um... He removed marijuana, and then uh, I was in an imperial relationship for five years. God broke it. He was like, it's time to get out of this, and I got out of that relationship. For two years, I walked in purity. I dated my wife, and then we were married a year and a half later, and that was the first time I'd ever did a relationship the right way. And to say that I've done that now and then look at the, the benefits of uh, a blessed relationship and our marriage of after four years and our, our beautiful children just to see that the fruit that's come from it you just understand God is a God of order and when we do things in his order he can bless them more I let go and I said God I'm trusting you I don't know where you're going to take me and he's brought me closer and closer to him you know it's interesting that he said that whatever I was doing in my life it wasn't working while he was an incredibly talented football player on the field, scored 50 touchdowns in a single season, took his team to a state championship, he was losing at life. And what I want to talk to us about today is winning at life. It's how we run up the score on the right scoreboard. And that's what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians 9. You know, there are going to be over 100 million people most likely watch the Super Bowl tonight. And the reason is, is because there's a really clearly defined goal of what's going to happen. I mean, if everybody tuned in tonight and they were like, hey, we're just going to, we're going to figure it out and we're going to play by whatever rules tonight, we'd be furious, right? People would turn the game off. If, if there's a moment in tonight's game where we can see the play better than the refs, we're going to be upset. We want there to be rules and we want the rules to be uh, applied fairly. And justly. And so because there are clearly defined rules, and it's understood how does someone score a touchdown? How does someone get an extra point? How does, how does the scoreboard run up? We'll watch the game because it's clear how you win the game. But here's the problem. Most of us don't know how to win the game of life because we spend most of our lives looking at the wrong scoreboard. We're looking at the, the wrong score. We, we might go through life feeling like we're succeeding, feeling like we're winning, and then we'll have that moment where we realize that the things that we thought were so important aren't that important, right? 
We'll go through life and we'll be putting everything we can into this job or this career. And then in a moment, we realize that our boss doesn't even really like us, but he likes the numbers that we produce. And as soon as those numbers go down, he'll turn his back on us. Someone in our company betrays us or someone we thought was a friend turns on us. And suddenly that thing that we've been putting so much time, effort, and energy into is nothing. And we think, man, what was all of it for? Why did I waste my time on that? Some of you have had some of these defining moments in life where you've recognized that you've been looking at the wrong scoreboard. You have gotten a a diagnosis. Realize that your life isn't as sure as you thought. You've watched a relationship fall apart. You've watched someone that you care about go through something difficult. And in those defining moments, you realize that what you thought mattered doesn't matter. One of the, I think, most infamous moments in sports where someone didn't know the score was not in football. It was actually in the NBA Finals. Uh, It was 2018. And the Cavaliers were coming down to shoot a last-second shot because the game was tied. They missed that last-second shot, but luckily, one of their players, J.R. Smith, grabbed the rebound. And then everybody watched in astonishment as J.R. Smith dribbled the ball away from the basket as the last few seconds went off of the clock. And the most famous image from this is when LeBron James is going, J.R., what are you doing? And in this moment, if you watch the video, you can see J.R. say, I thought we were ahead by one. He thought they were winning. He was trying to hold the ball to run out the clock because he thought that they were winning. The game was tied. They went into overtime and they lost game one of the finals. People look at this moment as the moment that LeBron and J.R. Smith's relationship started to fall apart. They were no longer good teammates. And I'm afraid that most of us spend our lives looking at the wrong scoreboard. That we don't know what the score is. And you can't win at life if you don't know how life keeps score. If you don't know what all of this is really about, you're not going to be able to win. The worst thing that can happen is that you succeed at things that don't matter. You win at a game that nobody's playing. You win at a game that doesn't mean anything. Paul, when he's writing to the Corinthians here in this chapter, he's writing them because he knows what his purpose in life is. He's very clear on what success looks like for him, what he's supposed to accomplish. And so in verse 16, he says, my necessity, my calling, my purpose, the thing that God has made me for is to preach the gospel. And woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He then goes into talking a little bit about his strategy, says in verse 19 that he is free from all, but he makes himself a servant to all so that he might win them. He goes on to say in the following verses that he does this so that he might win the more. You see, Paul was really clear on what his calling in life was, and because his calling in life was clear, he knew the strategy that he needed to put in place to win the game. Both teams tonight know that they have to win the game by having the most points on the scoreboard at the end of regulation, when the clock runs out. And so because they know how it is that they'll win, they've been working all year on strategies, all year on skills that will help them put points on the scoreboard. And once they get those points on the scoreboard, how to maintain the lead, how to keep the other team 
from scoring. If you don't know how the score is kept in life, you can't develop a strategy. Paul was very clear on his purpose in life. Can you say the same? Do you know what your calling, your purpose is? When Paul wrote this to the Corinthians, he was very clear on his purpose and his calling, and so that made it very clear on the strategy that he needed to have. And then while he's talking about this, he then turns the focus to them. And he says, this is the way that you should run. This is the way that you should compete. This is the way that you should win at life. And the Corinthian people that he was writing to, they, they weren't football fans. I mean, not even the European football that people over there like to watch. They didn't have that. But what they did have is they had a form of the Olympic Games. Now, the Olympic Games that we have uh, to this day traces its roots all the way back to the times of the Greeks, and it was the game. It was the Super Bowl. But Corinth was on an isthmus, and the isthmus had its Isthmian Games, which was kind of like a runner-up or a preparation for the Olympic Games. And so when Paul writes to them about how they should run, how they should live, he's talking to a group of people that were familiar with sports. He's talking to the Corinthians. They had the Isthmian Games every other year. And they had an Isthmian Games in A.D. 51, about the time that Paul was there. And so it might be that Paul was actually in Corinth while the games were going on, or he got there right before when there was a buildup, or right after, and everybody was still excited. And so in talking to them, he references this big cultural moment that they all would have been familiar with, kind of like we're all familiar with the Super Bowl. So let's look at these verses of Scripture and what he points out to them. Verses 24 to 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all. Now the word there for race, when he says, don't you know that everyone who runs in a race, the word there is actually stadia, which is where we get our English word stadium. And so he's not just talking about a race that your kids might have to the car on the way home today. He's not just talking about a race that you might have to be first in line at the restaurant at lunch. He's talking about the race that took place in the stadium there in Corinth. Don't you know those who run in the race, who run in the games, they run all. But one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep my under my body and I bring it into subjection. Lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. So what Paul does is he focuses on a game that they're all familiar with, but then he points out some very big differences between the games they all know and the game of life. And the first big difference that we see in verse 24 is that we can all win this game. We can all win. He says, don't you know those who are in the the games that they all run, but only one obtains the prize? Now, in our Olympic games, there's... First place, which gets what? A gold medal. Second place gets what? Silver. Third place, you get bronze. 
In the Isthmian games, there was first place and there was no second and third place. There was no coming in second. There was only a winner and then a whole bunch of losers. And Paul was saying, listen, they run their heart out at these games. They give themselves for this game, but only one of them can win. But in the game of life, the game of knowing what it is that God has called us to, we can all win. Now, I don't know about you, but if, if there was only going to be one winner in life, I'd be pretty sure it wasn't going to be me. I'd feel like I'd already been lapped several times. There's a whole lot of people that do life a lot better than me or you, right? But Paul is saying, listen, they all run hard knowing that there's only one winner. But for us, we can all obtain. Everyone, he's talking in the plural, everyone who's reading this can obtain. You can obtain the prize. Now, I need to be really clear because in our culture, there's a lot of games where everybody wins. And that's not what Paul's talking about. You see, the gospel doesn't change the rules and then hand out participation trophies to everybody. All right? Paul isn't saying, listen, we're all winners with Jesus. That's not what he's saying. I don't know if you remember several years ago, there was a commercial and it's a dad walking with his son out of like a, a ball field and he's like participation trophy. He's looking at his son has got a trophy that says participant on it. And he says, participation trophy, we won every game. And so he pulls that label off. He pulls a little plaque off of it and he pulls out a sharp and he writes winner or champion on it. You see, in our culture, we don't want anybody to feel like a loser. We don't want anybody to feel less than. We don't want anybody to feel judged. And so we say, everyone's a winner. And that might work on us when we're four. But by the time we're seven or eight, we know that there are losers. I mean, go to a little kid's game where they don't keep score. The kids know the score. They're keeping track of it themselves. They know. And so the gospel doesn't change the rules and say, hey, listen, it's, it's okay, no problem. And when Jesus came, he didn't say, hey, listen, it's all right, we're all good. No. Jesus said the rules are that if we break the commands of God, if we miss the mark, that we are not pleasing to the Lord. And so what Jesus did is instead of changing the rules, Jesus took the loss so that we can all win. He went to the cross and he took the punishment that we deserve. At the end of this letter, Paul would write, death is swallowed up in victory. And we are given the victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm able to win because Christ took on death for me. So Paul says when we understand what it is that God has called us to, when we understand what He has done for us, we are able to win. Even if we have made a mess of things, we're able to win because Jesus took the loss. He took the punishment. He took the cross for us. So Paul says it's like the games, except all of us can win. He says it's like the games, except this win is forever. Look what he says in verse 25. He says that every man that striveth for mastery is temperate all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Now, let's talk about what that word temperate means. Temperate means they have self-control. In other words, they give themselves all types of grief so that they can win. 
They train hard. They, they watch what they eat. And Paul's like, and they're doing that, guys, for a corruptible crown. They're doing that for something that fades away. I, I liked what I saw someone said recently. I've been on a diet for two weeks and all I've lost is 14 days of happiness. <laughs> I thought that was so good because that's so, so me, right? But these athletes that would run in the games, they would give themselves to this effort. They would watch what they ate. They would train hard. They would lose all of those days of happiness of eating that incredible seafood from Corinth. Why? So that they could win. And they were doing it for a corruptible crown. You see, not only is there no second or third place in the Isthmian games, the guy who wins first doesn't get gold. He got a crown of, and I'm not kidding, Celery. You ever gotten celery and felt like a winner? I sure haven't. <laughs> they had a crown made of celery and later on it would be converted to, to pine leaves. It was something that they fashioned out of leaves and it would immediately start to fade and to die, to brown and to wilt. Paul says they're doing all of this for a perishing crown. They're doing it for something that has a less of a shelf life than the milk in your fridge. It's going to start to go away. You know, it's incredible when we look at the lives of athletes. We've seen that there are athletes who win it all and still lose. Uh, Lincoln is wearing a football shirt today because it's football Sunday, but yesterday he came out in his Red Sox shirt and he says, I'm going to wear this tomorrow. And we're like, buddy, it's football Sunday, that's baseball. And he said, when is baseball Sunday? I said, I don't know. We'll have to figure that out. When I was a kid, I wasn't much of a football fan. I was more of a baseball fan. And my dad took me to watch the Cincinnati Reds play the Braves. And it was during the brief period of time that Deion Sanders was playing for the Reds. And I got to see Deion Sanders play. I remember that because Deion Sanders stole two bases in that game. I think they brought him on as a pinch runner. And he stole second. Everybody went crazy, and then he stole third, and everybody lost their minds. If you don't remember Deion Sanders, he was pretty famous because he was a lot like Bo Jackson, that he played two sports. He played in football and in baseball. He won two Super Bowls and appeared in the World Series. There was even a brief stint that he was playing postseason baseball games through the week and then going and showing up on Sunday to play early season NFL games. Nobody had done anything like that at that level before. After Deion Sanders had won two Super Bowls and he had appeared in the World Series, he and his wife were fighting, his life was falling apart, and he drove his car off of a 30-foot cliff to take his life. He'd won it all, but he felt like a loser, and he tried to take his own life. Somehow, by the grace of God, he survived that 30-foot drop in his car. Gave his life to Jesus. He said in his book, which by the way is titled Sex, Money, and Winning, how success almost ruined my life. said that he had to get the Word into his heart and that faith made all the difference. See, the truth is, if we go by this world scoreboard, you can win it all and still be a loser. You can win it all and still be a loser. That's how Deion Sanders felt. 
And while you're watching the game tonight, whether you admire the players on the field or the people that will be on the field during halftime, whatever it might be, when you're watching the game, you might, man, if I just had that. If I had that level of success, if I had that level of fame, if I had that type of money, then I'd be happy. And I think that if you could be there on the field and look into the eyes of those players, you could see that there's an emptiness there too. Because you can win at life. Win what this life calls success and still be a loser. Paul says they're doing this for something that perishes. And if you win the Super Bowl, I mean, it cements your legacy as a great player. I mean, great players who have done incredible things and make it into the Hall of Fame, if they don't win a Super Bowl, people will always kind of remember them as he was great, but he never won a Super Bowl. But even the players who win the Super Bowl, who cement their legacy, they can still be a loser, feel like one, feel that there's something missing. Because even that Super Bowl ring, even that Super Bowl trophy perishes, doesn't last forever. Paul says the difference between the games and life is that everyone can win life because Christ has taken the loss. The crown that we run for, it doesn't perish, it's forever. And then lastly, he says, the win is worth the hardship. Look at verses 26 to 27 with me. I therefore so run, not, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means what I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. I wish that I could tell you that if you become a Christian, all you do is win. But that's not true. I wish that I could tell you that if you became a Christian, everything would be easy. But that's not true. And Paul is writing to the Corinthians about the fact that this is difficult and it is hard and he has to fight with himself all of the time. Paul says, I run, not with uncertainty. He says, I run knowing that I will win because of Christ, but I have to fight. He says, I don't fight as one who beats the air. In the Isthmian games, there would be races, but there would also be fighting. There would be wrestling. He says, I'm not one who fights against the air. I'm not one who boxes just against a punching bag, right? Someone who's in the trenches. Paul says, this is a fight. But I fight with certainty. Knowing that I can win. And Paul's greatest fear was that when he had preached to others, that he himself would be a castaway. Now there's a temptation here if you're if you're in church on Super Bowl Sunday and you've been attending church most of your life. You're such a Christian that you can remember Sundays. You didn't even go to watch Super Bowl. You went to church on Sunday night. Listen, I got this, Pastor Daniel. Paul, the apostle who started churches and wrote a good portion of the New Testament, said, I fight, lest though I, someone who has preached the message to others, would become a castaway. Paul didn't assume. And so he put himself into the middle of this fight. 
to follow Christ. And I know that if you've been attending here for a while, that I've kind of harped on this here lately. And, and the, the reason that I feel like in my heart, the Spirit has, has just has impressed upon me that I would be doing you a great disservice if I allowed you to sit in worship service after worship service and be under the impression that you're a believer when you're not. Because the truth of the matter is that you're just looking at the wrong scoreboard too. You're looking at the scoreboard of the things you've done, the service you've rendered. And that one means nothing in heaven. I cannot do so much good that I'll win. It's only Christ in me. Only Christ in me. And all of the effort, and all of the fight, and all of the running is not so that I will be worthy, but so that I am near the one who is worthy. You know, there are going to be people who get a Super Bowl ring from tonight's game that they're not going to play any time. They're just going to be on the sidelines. I mean, there are going to be backup kickers who get a Super Bowl ring. I mean, I'm not even sure the kicker should get a Super Bowl ring unless he, like, hits the game-winning field goal or something, you know? But there'll be a backup kicker who gets a Super Bowl ring. Why? Because he's on a great team. And he has an important job to do, and he's got to be there to step in if the kicker's hurt. win at life, you just need to be on Jesus' team. He's the superstar here. He's the MVP. He's the one who gets the victory. And I'm just glad to be on his team. And the crown I get is because he won the game by going to the cross for me. Would you bow your heads with me?